Today we get into a text again, like uh, many of these in Romans, that uh, are getting, they're very practical. Uh, and with all of the nonstop political news that we see uh, on TV these days, that we get through various media streams uh, every single day, relentlessly, from all over the world, from not just Canada, but the U.S. and, and other places in the world, today's text I think is both timely and also very challenging for us. Uh, I'd also say that uh, last week in Romans chapter 12, we saw a text that had many directives in many different directions. There was many uh, imperatives and things that Paul was teaching on about what it means to be the body of Christ, to be community, and had many different kind of focal points. Today, our text in many ways has one point. And I think that you'll see uh, that one point as we go through today. Let me just read uh, from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. It says, everyone must, everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Well, then do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons, for government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them, pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. So as you look at this text, and especially going back to verses 1 and 2, and you look at that uh, text, we read this, and it's really hard to read this without having a clear understanding and a clear teaching that the people and places, the people that are in positions and places of authority have been placed there and established by God. It's pretty straightforward. It comes through a number of times here. It's like, these people in these positions of authority have been placed there and established by God. doesn't matter what translation you go to, you look at all the various translations and it says it in a very similar way. In the ESV it says there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Pretty clear. When you look at that, it, I think it causes us to pause and to reflect and to ask a whole number of different questions and we'll get to a number of those today, but such questions like, well, what happens when our party and our leader doesn't get in? Do we still see that leader as our leader, deserving respect and honor? And are we even willing to submit because they are established by God? Important questions for us to ask as we think of those who are ruling authorities over us. So what does authority mean? When we come to this word authority, and you think about it in different ways, uh, I mean, in many ways, authority is synonymous with power. It means some similar things to power. Um, in terms of having the right to make decisions, to determine outcomes, to set a certain direction, and so on. And authority is given by a source. It's important to remember that. Everyone who has authority is given authority from a particular source of that authority. So an appropriate question for anyone to ask who's in authority to say, what is my source of authority? Where does it come from? And so we need to ask those questions. But power, and it's somewhat synonymous 
view and role of authority is not a negative term. Uh, Even though it's often used that way, we often hear power being used in a sort of negative way in terms of how people abuse power. But power is actually a neutral term, and power is actually there to be used for good, even as we see in this text, for the greater good of the people, even though sometimes that power is used to punish those who disobey the law and so on. So authority is an interesting word that we have to kind of unpack and think about. And then, then there's this, this niggling little word called submission, which we don't always like. Pretty significant word as well. Since authorities, earthly authorities are ordained, ordained by God, God calls us to be subject to them, to submit to them. So submission means to arrange yourself under another. It means to, by choice, to intentionally arrange yourself under another in submission. And that's why in other texts where Paul is even teaching on marriage, he's talking about mutual submission. Submit to one another, and it looks this way and this way for husbands and wives and so on in that kind of context. In, uh, even in our setting, and in, in, in Jim Davidson, I'm not sure if he's here this morning, but him and I often joke because uh, he's the CFO of the Canadian Conference of Mennonite Brethren. So he's a staff person of which I'm the moderator and so chairing the board of that. So in that role, I am part of his authority as he is a staff person. But then the interesting thing is, is that he serves here in our church council. And I'm the lead pastor. And they're my authority. And so in that setting, when Jim puts on that hat, then he's my authority. And I love that, actually. And we actually rejoice in that and celebrate that. Because for us, it's a picture of mutual submission to one another. And the fact that we choose to arrange ourselves under another at different times. And it's a beautiful thing. And so submission is not a negative word. It's a powerful word. It's a biblical word that God calls us to, to arrange ourselves under the authority that has been established there by God. So we see in this text that there is this clear call to obey, to submit, to respect, to honor, and even pay taxes to those in authority. It says that in other places in Scripture as well, too. In 1 Peter 2, verse 17, Peter says, Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. In Titus 3, the beginning of that chapter, says, Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility everyone. So as we go back to this text in Romans 13, and again, remember, Paul is teaching and writing this letter and giving biblical teaching to this church that is gathering in the city of Rome. And we know some things about Rome in that era, but context again matters. So context of this is, who was the ruling emperor in Rome at this time? The ruling emperor was Nero, who was a brutal ruler. And so that's the context, actually, that Paul is writing to these Christians who are gathering as new Christian believers, new followers of the way, new followers of Jesus, and they were just starting to understand what this movement was about, and people were responding to this following of Jesus in lots of different ways, but the emperor was Nero. A number of years later, what actually happened, you may know, and and historians, Roman historians like Tacitus, they write things like this that, that explain the burning of Rome and how Rome actually burnt for about a week and most of the city was destroyed. 
That was a number of years later after Paul wrote this letter. But it's in the same kind of general era. And what happened was is that people, in, as they did their research, the assumption was that actually Nero started the fire. That he was behind it. Because he wanted to rebuild the city in a much more glorious way. And then what happened is he actually blamed the Christians. He created a diversion and blamed the Christians and this new movement of God that was there in front of this people group and the city. And these Christian believers now were ones who were put on trial, well, not really much trial, thrown in arenas, torn apart by animals. Many of them were crucified on crosses. And many of them were actually burned at night to illuminate the city when darkness fell. That was Nero. And so this was the ruler who Paul understood was the ruler as he's writing this letter to Rome. Now, another thing that was happening at this time was that there was uh, radical Christians uh, called the Zealots who were, doing, who were moving in a really extreme way, and they were pushing against all kinds of governing authority, and, and they were basically resisting any kind of uh, government authority of, of, of any kind. And so they were causing a, a problem and actually discrediting the gospel message. There was also a tax revolt in the mid-50s. Not the 1950s, just 50s. Nothing in front of it. Okay? And there was this tax revolt that was going on. And so Paul was actually, in many ways, responding probably to some of that because these people were revolting. And he's going, no, no, no. Here's how you need to live in a time where we are trying to give witness and testimony to the gospel. If you remember, and if you, as you read Paul's letters to the various churches, you see over and over and over again how important it was for Paul. Remember how often he said, live in such a way, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. He said that many times in his letters. And he so often was concerned that they would not discredit the testimony and the witness of the gospel. Which is why he didn't push hard against things that people thought, well, why didn't he just push against slavery like crazy? And yet he taught in that context, okay, slaves, here's how you need to act in response to your masters. Because for Paul, what was so important is that don't discredit this incredible gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is teaching, and that's some of the context that Paul is teaching into as he writes this text to these believers in Rome. But then there's this one key question that you might want to ask, and the question is simply this. In fact, most people, when they come to this test, they, they, they don't say, well, what does it say or what does it mean? Because it's pretty clear what this text says. But the question is, is how far do you go? The question is, is where do you draw the line? The question is, is, is where is the exception to what Paul is teaching here? And oftentimes, people will pull out the most notable extreme examples. Well, what about Hitler? What about Nero? What about all these other world leaders that were just so brutalizing to their people and killed so many and were so incredibly evil? And so sometimes we go to those extreme examples and almost to discredit this, but then we have to be careful not to miss the main point that Paul is saying in general terms we need to submit to authorities even when there are extreme examples. And again, this comes back to what we've been talking about earlier in Romans where God is sovereign and yet we still have free will. And so the evil that is there within the hearts of these leaders can still be used in disproportionate ways and completely against the will of God as they get into power. But Paul's main point is that in general terms, these governments are there to support the people and do the good of the people. And we need to submit to them. 
Submit to these stories, even when it's not your party, even when it's not your leader, even when it's not your choice. Live a life worthy of the calling and don't compromise the witness. I often, when I think of this text, I, I'm reminded of the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel. And in that story, just really briefly, and I won't take long on this, but in that story where Hannah and her and her husband and her family, every year they go to Shiloh to worship at the tabernacle. And she so desperately wants a child, and she is barren and can't have a child. And she pleads out to God, and she's being mocked even within her own family about that. And she pleads for this child, and she says, Lord, if you will answer my prayer and give me this child, I will give this child back to you to serve you for a lifetime. Remember that story? Some of you? And then what happens is God answers her prayer. She has this child and this amazing child, and it's Samuel, the one who goes on to be a prophet and who anoints the first kings of Israel and and who is this amazing leader of the people of Israel, right? And what does she do after the child is weaned? Is she brings him back to Shiloh and she leaves her young child. We're not sure exactly how old, but just a few years old in the hands of Eli and this most corrupt religious system of the time. Because if you keep reading in the text, it says that Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the most, calls them scoundrels. And they were the most hideous scoundrels who completely took advantage of people and the whole religious system at the time. They were so corrupt. Even Eli knew it. And that that story always astounds me. Of this mother who finally has this gift from God, and she, God answers her prayer, and now she takes this child and she submits it to the most corrupt religious system that is there. And what that tells me is that she trusts God more than she feared a corrupt system. That God is sovereign. God will keep his promises. God is faithful, and I can trust him even if I don't trust this human system that is there in front of me. The highest authority is God. And there is a place where we honor God above honoring our earthly authorities. There is a line that we have to discern carefully. Even in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, when the Jewish leaders strongly commanded Peter and James to stop preaching about Jesus, they did not comply. Because they said, here is where we have to honor God before people who are putting an obstacle in the way of the gospel. And yes, God puts leaders in place and we should submit to their authority, but God does not extend that to when leaders are clearly standing in God's way. And so the key for us and the challenge for us is this hard discernment to be absolutely certain that we are following the Lord when we choose, and when we are to choose not to submit to our authority. And that should be the exception, not the norm. But that's the hard part of discerning is where is that line? Well, I want to talk about this a little bit more specifically and, and, with, and a little bit more personally. And I'm going to invite a friend of mine up who's going to come and help I'm going to interview her, and she's going to help us with this text. Kelly, would you come up? This is Kelly Block. And uh, I've asked Kelly if she would come and uh, share with me a little bit from this text. And uh, we're going to sit here together. Thank you, Brad. And uh, we're going to just, uh, I've got some questions for her, and, and she saw these ahead of time because I didn't want her to be totally caught off guard. So Kelly, first of all, uh, what does your t-shirt say? You've got to explain that. She doesn't have her microphone yet, so Brad's going to get her that, but that's good. God, keep our land. And then on the back, it says, glorious and free. That's still part of our national anthem. Yes, so far. Okay, if you want that.
So I wanted to uh, just ask a few questions of Kelly. Let me just introduce her a little bit first, and she can add some things. But uh, Kelly uh, has a long has been a part of our church for a long time. Her and her husband Milton, and uh, and their family as well too. Uh, many of you wouldn't know actually that Kelly actually served on staff here about. 10 years, 10-ish years ago, for about a year and a half, just under a year and a half, she was our uh, director of administration. And so Kelly and I worked closely together at that time uh, before she went on to become a member of parliament. She's a mother, a grandmother, a wife to Milton, and she is a good friend. And she's also, as I said, a member of parliament uh, for the Conservative Party of Carlton Trail Eagle Creek. Right? So Kelly, what else would you say to just introduce yourself? What else would you fill in the blanks? Anything else? I guess what I would add to what Bruce has said is just that um, I, I truly believe that it was my, it was a part of my journey, obviously, that I would be on staff here at Forest Grove as the Director of Administration because it certainly did prepare me for, for what God called me into in terms of being a Member of Parliament. And um, I was working here at the time that I decided to, to seek the nomination, and um, Forest Grove and the leadership here graciously allowed me to take a leave of absence during the writ period so that I could campaign, and so I went directly from being um, on staff here at Forest Grove to being a member of parliament. So uh, I, I truly believe Forest Grove has built um, deeply into my role as a member of parliament. So I don't think what she said is that the politics of the church helped her to get ready for the politics of Canada. You didn't say that, right? Okay. So what I do want to say, though, at the outset, though, is that I don't want you to see this as a political statement or uh, a party endorsement or anything like that. So that's, not, that's not what this is. What this is is, is, is is somebody who's a part of our body of Christ, like we've been talking about, who's serving in Ottawa in a very unique role, an important role with all kinds of pressures. And I thought, as we come to this text, who better to talk to than Kelly, who's, who's facing this in lots of different ways. So please receive it in that way as we uh, talk together. Also, this coming week is uh, our Canada Day celebration later this week, and 150 years and all kinds of great celebrations, and you're all doing 150 of something or other, right? And as we figure that out, and uh, so it's been good. But before I get into the specific questions about the text, I, I said to Kelly, I said, I want you to just give us a, a minute or two about, give us what's a typical week look like for a member of parliament living in Saskatoon but serving in Ottawa, what, what does a typical week look like for you? So typically I would um, hop on a plane on Sunday evening or really early Monday morning so that I can be in the House of Commons by noon or one o'clock getting ready for question period. Um, the question period happens every day and as a member of Her Majesty's official opposition, I'm now on the side of asking questions instead of answering them. And so we take time to prepare for that. We also serve on standing committees, and those committees meet at least twice a week for two hours each week, and so there's a lot of prep for that. Um, we do house duty, which is a, a full day of serving um, on house duty, which means you're in the house from about 10 o'clock in the morning until 7 o'clock at night. And during the month of June, we have extended sitting hours, which meant we were sitting there until midnight. And um, that pretty much is a, a week at a glance. I'm usually in my office by 7.30 in the morning and leaving at about 7.30 or 8 at night when I'm not serving during those extended hours. Yeah. 
few years ago, I had the opportunity to be in Ottawa during that June, and it was those extended hours, and I got to sit in that back room. What's that called? The lobby. The lobby, which is basically where they hang out, watch TV, and eat really good food and stuff like that. And talking to other members of Parliament, and, and I just was so encouraged to hear the witness that Kelly has had on Parliament Hill and how many of them just spoke so highly of your witness there, Kelly. So just how you represented the Lord in, and your values so well there. So thank you for that. So I'm going to ask this question. As we look at this text in Romans 13, um, this question, I, I've approached it in a few different ways. Kelly's had a unique role, or a unique view of this text, submitting to authority, those in governing authority. So Kelly, my first question is, uh, how, do you, how did you view this text or think about this before you ever became an MP, before you got to that point? But what, what went through your mind as you thought about this text before you became an MP? So I would have to admit that I probably didn't give it a lot of thought. I, even though I was raised in a, in a home where there was a lot of political conversation and certainly understood that I needed to exercise my right to vote, I was pretty apolitical um, until I, I started to work in places and spaces where what I did intersected with local and provincial and now federal governments. So I, don't, I, I really didn't give it much thought. Um, however, I was raised and taught to play by the rules. And I'm wired in such a way as uh, I'm, I'm fairly rules-based, so I guess I always understood that you obey the laws, you pay your taxes. And um, I guess as a believer, I was taught early on about submission to authority. So, you know, in, in that way, I, I lived my life accordingly, but, but really didn't think much, too yeah. much about it. Thank you. So then you became uh, an elected member of Parliament, and you served under Stephen Harper's government, within that government, in power during a number of, a couple of terms. So how did you view this text differently then when you, and what were some different things that were part of your life at that time and experiencing this text as a member of parliament, as the official uh, government at the time? Okay. So I have made notes because they always kind of keep me focused on, uh, on uh, what I want to share with you. So I think it goes without saying that when you become engaged, um, in politics, it produces an understanding um, of the role that w whatever um, order of government you're involved with, it produces an understanding of the, the role that they play in, in life in general and, um, and certainly helps to shape um, our, our response to, to what um, each and every order of government might be, be doing through their policies and through the laws that they are creating. Um, I, I would have to say that um, I, didn't, I didn't question obeying the laws or paying my taxes, but I certainly um, question whether they are the right laws and whether they are the appropriate taxes. So. Certainly being, being a member of the governing party, I, was, I, I should explain, I was never a member of the government because all, the only members of government are cabinet ministers. So when we refer to the government of Canada, we're always talking about cabinet. I was a parliamentary secretary that, that is in a little bit of a gray zone between a cabinet minister and a backbencher, but I was never at the table when there were those conversations. But certainly as a member of the Conservative caucus, you support your leader and your leaders. So I think I felt quite keenly the burden um, as a member of parliament to um, be able to 
um, I guess, discuss and to answer for the decisions that the governing that the government was making because I was a member of the governing party. And I guess I also would say that when I went to Ottawa, I definitely understood that I needed to, um, to have firm in my mind what my convictions were and what those hills were that I was willing to die on. So yeah, talk about that. The other day when we were talking, you, you talked about the importance of your own Christian values and and how those can come up against things. And you even mentioned, like, even within your own uh, par- party, and even when it came to things that maybe Stephen Harper would ask of you and so on. So talk a little bit about that, about how your values helped to guide you when it came to this question of how much do you submit to those in authority? Sure. So I, I, just reflecting back on some of what you said this morning in terms of, um, you know, the ultimate authority in my life being God. And um, I recall the day after my nomination when there was an article in the Star Phoenix about the fact that I had been the successful candidate, I was in my office here at Forest Grove and, I, and, and a call came through for me. And it was someone who was very, um, I, I guess, upset about the fact that I had won the nomination. And, and her question to me was, are you going to be able to leave your faith at home? Are you going to be able to leave your faith at home and go and do the work of a member of parliament? And, and my, my first and automatic res- response was absolutely not. My faith informs how I view the world and, and how I make decisions. And uh, it's, it's, you know, behold, all things become, you know, all old things pass away, all things become new. It's in my DNA. So I was pretty clear with individuals that I was a person of faith and that that's what guided a lot of the stance I took and the decisions I made, so much to the point that I was able to have the opportunity to sit down with the then Prime Minister Stephen Harper and his Chief of Staff to, to share with them um, that I had come to Ottawa knowing what my values were and that I had actually rank-ordered them and that um, one of my ultimate values was the value for a culture of life, which if you drill down into that, might obviously convey to you the stand I might take on abortion or euthanasia or any of those other social issues that we are confronted with um, daily. And so I was able to share with the Prime Minister that while I had a value of submission to authority and to leadership, I, had, I also held a value for, the, for a culture of life and that when one was in conflict with the, with the other, in my rank ordering, a value for a culture of life would trump my submission to authority. Yeah. And he understood that. He, he recognized that um, we come to Ottawa with, with some deeply held convictions. And I think just being able to articulate that um, built in a, a level of respect yeah. that I was able to enjoy from our leader. And going back to what I said earlier about being in that lobby with these different MPs that one time a couple of years ago, one of the people that I was talking with was Peter McKay, and, and he said very explicitly, he says, we need more people in Ottawa like Kelly, people who have Christian values. That's what he said. And, and he just said how, you know, even her uh, testimony of values was very evident there. So just really want to affirm you in that, and Kelly, and, and how you've lived that out there. So uh, my last question for you is just now things have changed. Now 
you're in the opposition. And now Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party are the ruling party. How has this text changed for you, or has it changed for you, or how do you view it now with, with how things have changed uh, for you in your day-to-day -day work and how you view this? So I'll start by sharing with you that when I was sitting on the governing side of the House, I, I recall often looking across and wondering what actually happens to the spirit of a person who has to remain in a very negative and critical place um, all the time? Because you would, you know, as, as the opposition, you're always um, looking for things to criticize or looking for reasons why not to support what the government is doing. And um, I can tell you that being in opposition um, does present more of a challenge when it comes to um, my understanding of submission to authority. Um, however, um, I guess it, it speaks to what you understand um, submission to authority to be and what op opposing that looks like. And so as a member of Her Majesty's Loyal Opposition and the Shadow Cabinet, I have um, learned that you don't oppose just to oppose, that you have to, you, you know, that you have to think critically and that you have to have a coherent and... Um, I guess sound reason for doing so, and but also to do it in a respectful way, and to I, I have deep respect for the for the fact that I I know that God has given authority to the government of Canada through the model of governance that we submit ourselves to to make the decisions um, for our country, to make the laws, to develop the budget, and figure out how they're going to spend the taxes that they collect. I. I don't question that they have that authority, but as I said earlier, I question their, the laws that they are seeking to put in place, and I question how they want to spend our money because we have a system of government that not just allows for that, but demands that yeah. of those members who are in what I think is an important role as members of um, opposition. Um, so I do, I do, um, I, I did grieve. I grieved deeply. When, um, when we lost uh, government as, as the Conservative Party of Canada. And I, and I did have to um, spend a lot of time reflecting on um, what does this mean now? How do I, as a Christian, live out my faith and continue to have an impact on, on our country um, when I'm going to be typically in opposition of those who now have the authority to, um, to set the course and set the path. Yeah. So Kelly, I do have one more question. Um, how, what would be helpful for people to know just for how we can pray for those in government on whichever side of the house that you sit on? But you live a unique life, and, and Lisa and I have been able to walk with you in Milton through these years in different ways and, and just getting a bit of a window into some of the pressures, the unique pressures and expectations there. But what are some other things that you would say to us as a congregation of how we can support those in authority and pray mm -hmm. for you? So as I've, I've thought about the, these questions that Bruce gave me, I, I, I will start by making one observation. I think it is that at the end of the day, in an increasingly secularized world, an increasingly secularized government will follow. So I believe governments are, obviously governments are elected by the majority of people who get out and vote. And um, so, so I think 
how I would encourage people to pray would be that um, we pray for, you pray for wisdom and understanding for those individuals who are elected to, um, to political office. Um, and I really believe that uh, for this, one um, needs to know God and fear him. And I, I just want to reference Proverbs 9.10. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. Um, and, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And then Daniel uh, 2.20-21. 20 Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets, he sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. And so when I think about how I would encourage you to pray for your elected leaders, it would be that they would, that they would have wisdom and knowledge and that ultimately I believe that comes from the Lord. And so pray for their salvation. Pray that they would come to know Jesus as their personal Savior, because I think that's going to really be the change um, in terms of in terms of government. And um, I guess one thing I would leave you with, and maybe this is going to put pressure on Bruce, I'm not sure, but there's an author that and and someone who um, leads um, the leadership summit, the Willow Creek Leadership Summit, and I and in the last year and a half. I take heart in knowing that it's the local church that is the hope of the world, not government. And he goes on to say that um, its future rests primarily in the hands of its leaders. And so I I think just as we need to pray for our leaders in government, more so we need to pray for our spiritual leaders because they um, they are the ones who are going to have a strong impact on this world and and on society and i think governments will respond to that yeah that's a good word i want to just summarize with just a a few statements from this text and just from uh having been preparing for this talk with kelly a little bit then i'm going to invite the worship team up and and i want us to also just pray for kelly uh in her unique role but and you you alluded to it right here at the end and i appreciate that and the first point is just this governments are important in our earthly structures but they are not the source of our hope and I've heard Kelly say that a number of times. And uh, Jesus is. And as Bill Heibel says, the church represents Jesus. The church carries this gospel message of hope, which is why the church has such a significant role. Secondly, um, we, are, we do need to view our government and our leading authorities with respect. We need to pray for them, and we need to submit to their authority in our lives. That's an important piece. Thirdly, there does come a place where the values that we get from God actually override our submission to the earthly authorities that are there. And Kelly talked about that. And, and our discernment to know when that is, and the rare exception, and then that would maybe need to be. And then lastly, that our leaders, again, are placed in authority. They deserve our respect, our honor, our support, and even our taxes. And that truth that is there uh, in this uh, text. Um, would you stand with me? And worship team, if you'd want to come up. And I want to just pray for uh, Kelly. Kelly, if we would just stand here. And I want to just pray... Uh, for her and this role and the things that we have talked about here today. And so, Lord, I just thank you so much for the fact that you call out different servant leaders to serve in different roles and capacities and how you even called Kelly out of a role in this church to go serve in Ottawa. And what an amazing journey I know that that's been for her. 
And uh, I know a little bit about how hard and difficult and challenging and even lonely at times this role can be. And yet at the same time, how you have sustained her and encouraged her. And Lord, I think of her and many like her who serve in these public offices who are faced with so many pressures and so many challenges. And there are so many ways and opportunities and pressures to compromise the godly values that you've instilled in us. And I pray that you would give her wisdom and discernment. And that you would give us as a church wisdom and discernment to how to lead and to be in this culture that we live in today. And God, that we would be the Christian people in whatever role, whatever capacity you've placed us in to uh, proclaim this gospel message and to live out of that with conviction and with courage. And so, Lord, we thank you. And may you be glorified and may you be honored. So encourage uh, Kelly and Milton and bless them, we pray, in this role and others like them who serve in parliament, who serve in government, who serve in places of authority. And we just give you thanks and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.